Coming up on today's message with Pastor Johnny. And the text says that John saw people from all nations and all people and tribes and languages. And even though they are diverse, they are unified by the Lamb of God. John is speaking to a global community of all nations and tribes and languages, meaning we don't have a lock on who gets into heaven. We are not bouncers at the door making people wait to get in and asking for ID and determining who gets in and who does not. Amen. Let's get into the word. Uh, today's message is going to come from the book of Revelation, uh, the seventh chapter, I'm going to read the ninth through the 17th verse. Again, that is the book of Revelation, chapter seven, verses nine through 17. I'm going to be reading uh, the New International Version of God's Word. Let's. Uh, Let's see what it has to say for us today. Amen. Hear ye the word of the Lord. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and before the lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures they fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Pray with me, please. Oh, Lord, our God, how excellent is your name in all the earth. We thank you for this opportunity to study 
and learn from your word. Uh, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, Lord God. Allow me to be a sign that points people to you. And that people who hear this message will want to know Jesus Christ in the pardoning of their sins. It is in your son's precious, perfect, powerful name, Jesus the Christ, we pray. Amen. Uh, for the time that we get to spend together today, I'd like to talk a little bit about silent partners. Silent partners. I am the child of an entrepreneurial mother, a risk taker, someone who started several businesses in her life. So I grew up with a vocabulary slightly different from others my age and in my community. I learned words real early like partnerships, equity, shares, shareholder, business plan, and a phrase that brings us to this message today, silent partner. A silent partner contributes to the company's success by providing money, uh, resources, but is usually not involved into the company's day-to-day -day operations. Silent partners believe in the vision, support the vision, and supply the company with what it needs to thrive, money. Um, unless the owner of the business or, or uh, the inventor of the, the, the gadget that they're trying to sell is independently wealthy, they will need a lot of money to get the business, the project, or the invention off the ground. You see, it's one thing to have a good idea and it's another thing to perfect a prototype through months of trial and error in the lab. Uh, but successful inventors eventually need to jump from research and development into manufacturing. And they need to be able to sell the vision to at least one investor, if not more, to write the checks. Samuel Colt, inventor of the famous revolver that bears his name, started with money from his father, who owned a textile plant. And after he burned through that money, he formed a traveling medicine show demonstrating the supposed health benefits of nitrous oxide or laughing gas. Eventually, he gave up on that and found a group of investors to fund his gun manufacturing operation. Uh, Samuel Morse, who invented the telegraph, was a teacher, uh, a student's wealthy father who owned an ironworks company, was the first to bankroll Morse's electronic research. Later, Morse got uh, substantial grants from the United States and the United Kingdom's governments to run the first transatlantic telegraph cable. Alexander Graham Bell was likewise a teacher. Like Morse, uh, he was not above smoozing two of his pupils' well-off dads, a lawyer and a leather merchant. And they were happy to fund his scheme for a new and improved telegraph. But that wasn't 
uh, Bell's passion, you see, because he diverted some of that funding from the new and improved telegraph uh, to a more speculative project you might have heard of called the telephone. Wilbur and Orville Wright funded their early research using profits from their Dayton, Ohio bicycle shop. And it took them a long time to develop the airplane because they had to keep traveling back and forth to Dayton to run the business. But once their first plane took off from Kitty Hawk, uh, North Carolina, the U.S. Army actually stepped up and offered to buy the plane for $30,000, but only if it met specific engineering and performance criteria. And, and working uh, furiously to uh, qualify for the grant, the Wrights experienced disaster. Their prototype plane crashed, seriously injuring Orville and killing an Army observer, Lieutenant Thomas Hill. E. Selfridge, the first person to ever die in a pain crash. But undeterred, they still used, they've perfected the design and used that money to start their own airplane manufacturing company. I could go on and on about many famous entrepreneurs uh, that we, we think are self-made but actually had people behind them funding their projects, but I digress. The point is, successful people had supporters behind them, some loud and some silent. The Bible includes some of those silent partners, spiritually speaking, and their, uh, their support is not of the financial variety. It's something else altogether. Uh, spiritually speaking, uh, the revelation seven and nine mentions those partners. It says, after this, I looked and there was a great multitude that no one can count from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne, robed in white. Um, they're referring to what we as uh, believers, uh, when we recite the Apostles' Creed, call the communion of saints. They stand behind us, and the, the, they stand behind the present-day church, quietly lending support in ways that we are only dimly aware. John was writing the book of De uh, Revelation uh, to a church caught in the middle of worshiping the emperor or worshiping the savior. They had to decide if they wanted to be a community that worships the Lamb of God or uh, uh, be in a world that worships the Caesar. Uh, the Roman emperor had people going around saying Caesar is Lord and choirs following him talking about or singing rather about him being holy and having all this power and honor. Roman leaders thought that they were the son of God sent here to save the world. And here is this small group of people who have the nerve to believe that the Son of God was some man from Galilee instead of them. The Roman oppressors demanded loyalty to them above all others, and anyone else who did not get in line was severely and brutally punished. 
So when John was writing the book of Revelation, he was not writing it as a future prediction, but present day comfort. He's pointing out the crowds. You know, the Gospels referred to crowds repeatedly, indicating that they are the special object of Jesus Christ's ministry. He was out getting to the people. Imagine that. Uh, John witnesses a horde of believers shouting a hymn of praise. And at first, he saw 144,000 uh, from the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, but then he looked back and he saw a number that no one could count. And the text says that John saw people from all nations and all people in tribes and languages. And even though they are diverse, they are unified by the Lamb of God. John is speaking to a global community of all nations and tribes and languages, meaning we don't have a lock on who gets into heaven. We are not bouncers at the door making people wait to get in and asking for ID and determining who gets in and who does not. Salvation belongs to God. Salvation belongs to the Lamb. We get this because of our relationship with God and all the benefits that the relationship with God brings us are a consequence of Jesus' death on the cross. We don't gatekeep. Jesus did all the work. And these believers uh, John is writing to, they, they have to make a choice. Um, they have to choose one type of blood over another. Uh, 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 they're, they're choosing the blood of the crucified lamb over the potential bloodshed that they will receive for not worshiping the emperor. They are promised a great reward, but that does not exempt them from suffering. Uh, the Bible says man born of a woman's days are uh, few and full of trouble. The Bible says that no weapon formed against us shall prosper, but we have to understand for that verse to come true, somebody has to make a weapon and try to use it against you and then it fails. It's not all skipping through the fields of daffodils. There's going to be some trouble in your life. But we are, as believers, say, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. We, as believers, say weeping may endure for the night, but joy shall come in the morning. And so they, in their affliction, they, in their trials and tribulations, Jesus or John says to look at these believers. What are they doing? They are singing a hymn of praise. Uh, they are praising their way uh, through the suffering. John asks why are they are singing, and they are singing because the blood of Christ has redeemed them. Amen. The blood of Christ took those dirty uh, robes, washed in his blood, and now they are white as snow. Wait, wait, that's what I said. Dirty robes washed in blood, white as snow. 
huh, washed in blood. Everyone knows blood is real hard to get out, especially something white. Even the stringent bleach is, is insufficient to restore whiteness to garment stain and blood. So how could anyone believe that blood itself could make something white? Such an image is, of course, a paradox, a statement that on its face must be wrong that's asserted to be true. But nonetheless, it challenges us to reject what appears plain and obvious. Uh, and they confront us with a, a reality that is contrary to what our experiences taught us is accurate. But the fact of the matter is, Christ's blood does not stain it cleanses. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, how precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not only are we going to be washed white as snow from the, our sins with the blood of Jesus, God is going to take care of our needs. Ah, when the text says that never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst, he, John is calling back to Isaiah 49 and 10 where it said there they will never hunger nor thirst, nor will the desert heat or the sun beat them down. He who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside springs of water. I know it's tough right now. I know you may be suffering right now. But God is there with you. And because God is there with you, you are going to make it out the other side. God will provide for his believers and he will provide for those in need. He's going to feed the hungry. God will wipe away our tears and we will be, be victorious over enemies of faith. Not only is God going to take care of us, but while we are in the struggle, we can know that we are not alone. Sometimes things go well, uh, and we sense the Holy Spirit at work in our world and realize that we are surrounded by God's love, constant as the air we breathe. In bright moments like these, we know that this Christian faith of ours works that is the most eminently practical guide for living ever devised. But of course, there are some other times where we feel discouraged and disheartened. And life seems to make it feel like every step forward we take two steps back. Yet in every season, good times or in bad, we can take comfort in the reassuring fact that we are never alone. God is with us, and the silent partners, the communion of saints, surround us on every side. And the saints are among us spiritually and physically in the life of the church, because the saints are just like us. Ordinary people who struggle with their faith from time to time, just like everyone else. The communion of saints is also the community of the forgiven not the unnaturally saintly. 
So we can believe in the communion of saints because it's one of the greatest supports of the Christian life for this world and the next. We can believe in the communion of saints because they support us as we go through our lives in this Christian journey. We can believe in the communion of saints to be our silent partners and be with us as we live this life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open and we invite you to come. Pray with me, please. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for every good and perfect gift that comes from above. We thank you for this word that went forth. For those who got to hear it and see it live and those who may hear it and see it later, that they will have a desire to know your son and the pardoning of their sins and ask, what must I do to become saved? Lord God, we ask that your Holy Spirit do its holy work in your holy church for your holy kingdom. And let this message be a seed that is planted in good soil and produces a great harvest, 30, 60, 100 fold. It is in your precious, perfect, powerful name, the matchless name of Jesus the Christ we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for watching this video. Please be sure to like, comment, subscribe, and share. Don't forget to connect with me on social media, Pastor Johnny Simpson Jr. on Facebook, at Pastor J. Simp Jr. on Instagram and Twitter. Thanks again for watching, and God bless.